Hello everyone, this is Andre from The Mental Elf and this is the Big Spud 21 podcast and I'm here with Anna Motz. Uh, Anna is a consultant clinical and forensic psychologist working in the offender care service at Central and Northwest London NHS Foundation Trust and she has extensive clinical experience working with women in prison and with the staff teams who support them. A very warm welcome Anna to the podcast, thanks for joining us. Um, your talk at the conference next month is entitled Working Psychotherapeutically with Women's Invisible Trauma. So tell us, first of all, why this kind of trauma is invisible. Yeah, great. Thank you. So basically, not only have I worked with women in prison, I also have worked for over 25 years with women in the community who have histories of violence, as well as trauma that, uh, as my title suggests, is invisible. It's invisible because these uh, women have often undergone experiences about which they feel very ashamed including uh, histories of sexual and emotional and physical abuse in childhood or adolescence, violent relationships, as well as experiences of racial discrimination or discrimination because of other protected characteristics, perhaps their um, sexuality or disabilities that may uh, have hindered their acceptance into their social world. Not only have the women sometimes hidden their experiences out of shame or fear, but oftentimes some of their past losses are simply not asked about or overlooked. Sometimes the traumas are about uh, issues like losing children to adoption or uh, miscarriages, terminations, Uh, that may have been forced, also sexually violent experiences that are just simply uh, ignored or hushed up by families or their wider social networks. So it's extremely important to be aware that when we meet women and women who have violent histories, that they're not simply perpetrators, they're very often victims as well, and victims in ways that unless we're very receptive, sensitive, patient and open, we may never learn about. And do you think the kind of trauma-informed care movement, if we can call it that, which I guess has existed here in the UK for some years now, do you think that's having an impact? Do you think we are making this kind of prior life experience more of a focus? Are we asking women what's happened to them more? Definitely there has been a shift in emphasis, but of course... Uh, And it's a wonderful movement, the trauma-informed movement. But of course, when uh, staff are feeling under threat or when people fit particular stereotypes, that sense of curiosity and compassion can be lost. And despite organizations uh, saying they're trauma-informed, certain practices do uh, really represent a more old-fashioned and punitive approach. And this isn't just in the criminal justice system. This is also in the health system. We know, for example, that the stigma of certain personality disorder or mental illness labels can be harmful and can move the conversation away from what has happened to you, what have you experienced, and how have you uh, found meaning or developed strategies to protect yourself towards a conversation that's more like, why are you bad? Why are you ill? What have you done? 
I think it's essential that we remember that women do have agency, but that past trauma can certainly interfere with how that agency gets expressed or whether the women themselves even feel that they can make positive choices. So the trauma-informed label is helpful, but it's only the beginning, not the end of our journey. And it strikes me that your your experience and your position, you've got kind of quite a broad picture um, in terms of clinical services and forensic services. And I, I wonder if you could give us a sense of how you feel the different services that women come into contact with, whether that's primary care or secondary care or criminal justice, are in in terms of their development with this kind of trauma-informed model. You know, from my kind of naive perspective, I'm imagining that maybe we're better at doing this kind of trauma-informed stuff in secondary care than we are in the prison service, for example, or is that just not true? I mean, certainly in the prison service, we're seeing some extremely dedicated uh, practitioners and operational staff, so prison governors, who are absolutely championing this, particularly in the female prisons where I work. I'm seeing great evidence of that. So uh, certainly in the NHS, I have seen at secondary care, which is where I worked within a you know specialist forensic service, but also in a uh, safeguarding service, I've seen real emphasis on trauma uh, understanding. However, when one is working with both the actual immediate victims, say a child and a mother who's abusive, I think it's very hard to keep in mind the fact that the mother herself is both victim and perpetrator. However, in the criminal justice system, we're seeing, so I work with uh, lots of other practitioners, both in terms of governors, prison officers, probation officers, social workers, and with forensic and clinical psychologists and psychotherapists. We've seen great developments in terms of understanding intergenerational transmission of abuse, working in perinatal psychiatry, and also working with women's expression of distress. So the kinds of self-harm, that's such an issue in the prison, and working um, alongside other organizations to really develop the whole workforce so that they understand the uh, trauma origins of this kind of behavior alongside other uh, manifestations of distress that can be really difficult to tolerate. So the kinds of assaults on staff, whether verbal or physical, the uh, real reliance on substances or alcohol or violent relationships to give the women a sense of uh, feeling comforted, even if that seems odd to us, there is a definite movement towards understanding the roots of these, uh, you know, sometimes um, difficult to understand behavior, but we're really trying to look at how and why it develops, what are the predisposing factors, what are the things that keep these uh, destructive, apparently destructive cycles going, and how can we break into them? and help the women to realize other ways of relating to um, individuals, loved ones, professionals, friends, and also ultimately to themselves. I guess this group of women that you help uh, and support is very diverse and, you know, it's, it's hard to make generalizations, but tell us a bit about what you do that helps them. Uh, in terms of interventions and other support? 
Well, our main emphasis, certainly in the service I work, the EOS service, which is actually taking um, an MBT-informed approach, works with the networks of uh, staff around the women. So we're not just working with individual females who've committed crimes and been convicted, but we're working with all the staff to help them mentalize and get an understanding of what causes this kind of behavior, what leads to criminality, how trauma manifests itself in the criminal justice system in our prison, and how best we can intervene. We've done a lot of work training uh, criminal justice and national health staff, as well as voluntary sector organizations. And I'm delighted to say I've been doing quite a lot of that work with uh, Julia Blasdell and others who were part of the CUF movement and um, who are experts by experience. And it's that kind of really integrated, co-produced training and the delivery of that training that I think has made fantastic uh, changes, really, in the attitudes as well as the behavior of the frontline staff, as well as the more removed staff who are tasked with, with helping women who find themselves in such crisis that they end up in prison. Uh, other work we do includes reflective practice, uh, as well as individual interventions for the women themselves. Recently in our prison, we've developed a self-harm strategy, which takes this model of working with the proximal network uh, away from just the specific women within our service and looks at how to work with the proximal network uh, for women who have entrenched patterns of self-harm which, of course, is a major problem for them, although it seems a solution and uh, can, be, can be potentially fatal. So it's through working at every level of an organization, a real whole systems approach, as well as with the individual woman herself, that I think we begin to generate a culture change. It's also essential not to forget about the third sector organizations that are working so well with women in the community and that that's part of our pathway. So not just in custody, not just in secure care or even in non-secure mental health hospitals and clinics, but to look at the kinds of organizations that will exist to um, help provide the support for the women when they are outside of any kind of institutional care. So women in prison, ANAWIM, uh, other through the gate services and psychotherapy services that can really keep the women uh, focused on how to how to make choices that feel more healthy for them and which so far they may not have felt at all able to access, but also what kinds of practical and emotional support is requisite in order to even get to the point of feeling they can make a choice. What about the broader social context of this? I mean, this is a big question, but what, what kind of societal changes do you think would have the biggest impact on preventing a lot of the, 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 the positions that women end up in? How can we prevent it from happening in the first place? Well, I think there's a, an awful lot of um, societal pressures on women, and we know that women and girls are most at risk for violence and exploitation so we need to be protecting young well, protecting all children but being particularly mindful of the risks faced by young women and girls so looking at very early interventions interventions into families where 
we suspect uh, neglect and abuse, being extremely mindful of how young girls in care are targeted and often groomed for sexual exploitation. I think, and this is a radical proposition perhaps, but I think we really need to look at um, prostitution and who is criminalised and making it very, very uh, easy for women to exit prostitution instead of what's happening now, which is that they can find themselves caught up in a very dangerous and destructive uh, situation, which which then leaves them with fewer choices and they're much, much more... Um, vulnerable to abuse and uh, violence within relationships. We are also looking all the time at how the criminal justice system treats female offenders. We're looking at how short-term sentences are extremely harmful for women, how when women go into prison for very short periods of time, they can lose care of their children, they can lose their homes, their jobs, their employment, their hope. So trying to divert women from custody wherever possible and the Advisory Board for Female Offenders, of which I'm a part, is making strenuous efforts uh, to find alternatives to custody. Once women are in custody, we're looking at helping uh, create the best conditions that look at rehabilitation and try and prevent further offending. There's a huge issue of racial discrimination and the fact that women of colour are overrepresented in the criminal justice system. And uh, this is something that we need to address through whatever means necessary. Additionally, I think we need to be looking really at how we can create more opportunities for women who are mothers to be diverted from custody, but also to get the kind of mental health and emotional practical support they require in order not to become overwhelmed uh, by the tasks of mothering when often, or parenting when often they haven't had those experiences themselves. They've often gone through uh, abuse in their own early lives. And finally, what's so important is that we're looking at domestic violence, how to protect women, how to help women leave violent relationships and obviously we need um, to be thinking hard about creating sanctuaries and refuges for women instead of taking those places away, uh, providing support and reducing stigma for women who have found themselves in those kind of relationships. Finally, I wanted to say that one of our main obstacles to understanding and treating female offenders is, of course, stereotypes about womanhood in general and motherhood in particular, which is that women aren't fundamentally passive, gentle creatures instead of acknowledging that women can be aggressive and when they enact violence or aggression or criminality, they haven't fallen out of the rank of womanhood. They are simply expressing an aspect of their their humanity and we have to stop um, holding up very sentimental and idealised notions of femininity that's destructive rather than helpful. I've been doing some work with the um, Mental Health Policy Research Unit at UCL recently, and I've been noticing a lot of the work that they've been putting out on complex emotional needs. And it's really striking how there's a just, just such a dearth of research in that field. Um, you know, we, we have so little um, high-quality evidence that's been produced. Um, I wonder what you feel is is the priority for researchers who are working with women 
with complex emotional needs? What, what do you think are the real kind of key questions that we should be answered to drive improvements in care for women? Yes, I think we need to be, first of all, asking about you know, psychological treatment efficacy and levels of support that are required. So what works and how long do we need to be ensuring that this kind of psychological treatment works? But also certainly within the criminal justice system, we're looking at uh, developing residential women's centres as opposed to prisons So the kind of work that Baroness Corston was talking about where you've got kind of one-stop shops for women who have these complex needs and who have contact with the criminal justice system. So we're not just looking at a kind of mental illness model, but you're looking at psychological distress alongside educational, vocational uh, practical opportunities for pro-social living, as well as the kind of support that women require, uh, as I said, when they become mothers. We also need to be really addressing issues, and these are difficult issues to address, but, you know, what is the different treatment for women who are of colour or who have protected characteristics, and how can we be training staff to be mindful of how differently they may respond to women depending on uh, such differences, you know, relating to them in a discriminatory way. The other issue that would be important for research is to really look at how the educational system is uh, discriminating against girls, young women who display kind of emotional disturbance or unhappiness or challenging behavior, as it's called, self-harm in schools. How can we begin to be intervening with that earlier rather than just excluding uh, young people who have presenting difficulties and really just um, exiling them to pathways of more and more uh, pariah status with losing hope. So I think we need to be really asking how can we integrate, how can we work in a multi-agency way to identify those girls and women at risk and provide protective and proactive means to divert them from further harm and risk. So finally, I want to just give you an opportunity to give us a, the elevator pitch for your talk. You're talking at the conference uh, half past nine on Wednesday, the 15th of June. Why should people come and hear your talk? I think people should come and hear my talk because this kind of issue is absolutely urgent. If we're going to help women and girls to lead the best lives possible, to not be stigmatized, cast out, ignored and neglected until perhaps they commit a crime that's so heinous that finally they are seen to be in distress and to have traumatic histories, you know, we need to be paying attention. We need to be opening our eyes and ears to this hugely important phenomenon. It's not just something that affects the individual women and girls who find themselves uh, cast out of society or in prison as the only sanctuary they've ever known, which is a very sad indictment of society. But it's also important for all of us. It's important for our society that we attend to the women and girls who are so at risk and whose trauma really does need to be uh, revealed. They need to be brought out of the shadows. And I should say that these women and girls are often people with fantastic creativity, intelligence, resources, and a great deal to give. And as a society, we lose if we simply uh, cast them out. Mm -hmm.